0: Live from the Hills of Judea is the Land of Israel Fellowship with Rabbis Arya Abramowitz and Jeremy
1: Gimpel. Hello everybody, welcome to the Land of Israel Fellowship. So good to see you all. Excellent. Good. Can everyone hear me? Okay, everyone can hear me. Everyone says hi. Good. Excellent. Okay, Um. well, it's wonderful to see you all. There is a little bit of a twinge in my heart. Um. This is going to be my last Sunday in Israel because this coming Shabbat I'm going to be in Manhattan. Next Sunday, I'm going to be in Dallas. The Wednesday after that, I'm going to be in Colorado. And I'm leaving to the United States on a a lecture tour. And so every time I celebrate my last Shabbat in Israel, uh, my heart hurts a little bit because I know I, I won't be in Israel next Shabbat. I'm going to be in Manhattan, which is like the opposite of Israel. And I won't see the Judean mountains. I'll see traffic lights and big buildings. And I don't know. This trip is particularly tough. Usually, I don't travel without Tehillah. It's hard for me without her. Um, but inflation has made prices of everything impossible. So I'm only going to be traveling with my 16-year-old son Akiva. This is his belated bar mitzvah trip. You know, he's 16. So three years ago, it was like his, his bar mitzvah fell on COVID. And so I think that every son that turns bar mitzvah, the father should do something special with him, take him on a three-day hike, take him on some sort of quality time experience without the other kids. And so this will be our father-son bar mitzvah trip. We'll be teaching. We'll be playing music together and we'll be traveling together. And so at least I have that as a consolation, but uh, it was our last Shabbat. So this Shabbat, you know, I really took time to bless my children because I know next Shabbat, listen, they're going to be without me. So I gave them extra extra blessings this Shabbat. And this Torah portion is, of course, it's like the Torah portion of blessings and curses. And so if there is one Jewish custom that I think every single non-Jewish person, every non-Jewish family should adopt. It is blessing their children once a week. I don't care if you're Christian, if you're Muslim, if you're Jewish, blessing your children is the best bang for your buck that you can have as a parent. It's not long. In fact, it's really short. And there's no not your children in such a short amount of time than blessing them once a week, giving over your love to them, sharing that all you want in your life is that they be blessed. And I always say my children are blessed. And that is just definitionally true. That's definitively true because Tila and I bless them every single week. So they are blessed because we bless them. You want blessed children? It's simple. Bless them and they become blessed. And so... I don't think that there is a better thing to do. And it's not like there wasn't enough chaos in the world. The world is falling apart and our children need our blessings. It's just that simple. And so, you know, the media is not really covering what's happening for whatever agenda that they have. I never exactly know what their agendas are, but the second largest Jewish community in the world outside of Israel is France. And I don't know if you've seen, but France is lost. There was a movie called uh, White, The White House Has Fallen. France has fallen. I mean, There aren't news crews. These are videos from just regular people on their phones. And as you'll see, this isn't happening in the outskirts of France and little provinces. This is like downtown Paris right next to the Eiffel Tower. It's unbelievable what's happening because the war in the Ukraine, Russia, like things are falling apart. And now is the time to strengthen our core unit, to strengthen our family, to bless them but just for those of you that haven't seen, I just collected some of these videos just to share with you what's happening right now in the middle of Europe. Check this out.
2: Je guette le de Sevran. Au nom de Dieu, le action de Sevran est brûler. Wow, là, c'est super chaud. Là, c'est chaud, Au nom de Dieu. Ah non, c'est des niqués à Sevran. Wow, là, c'est des niqués à Sevran.
1: watch this video here. Look what these police are marching up against. In front of them is a mob, a mob of people. Leave the video on. I want to show the one with Eiffel Tower. That's the one. That's happening right now. France is falling apart. Well, here's the deal. There's a master plan that is unfolding. It will unfold. No force in the world can stop it. The Jewish people will come back to the land of Israel, and the world is going to go through some major shifts as we prepare to enter into this next stage of world history, and we need to be prepared for that shift. Malachi, the prophet, says the sun is going to rise, the wicked will be burned, and the righteous will bask in its healing rays. That means the change is coming, but if we prepare ourselves properly, it will be an amazing time. It'll be a great adventure, clouds of glory. And so one of the goals of our fellowship is to prepare us for this transitional time that we are going through right now. And the best way to do that outside of the fellowship is to gather your family together once a week and bless your children. Fathers should bless the sons and the daughters. The mothers should bless the sons and the daughters. And then- Just imagine what happens once a week. There's just blessing in the home. That's like bringing God into your home, bringing your highest wishes and speaking that onto your children. And here this Parsha, we learn the power of speech. Look how much they cared about some guy just saying words. Their kings are ready to pay. Israel is terrified to even think of the idea. The power of our words is what this fellowship is going to be dedicated to. And so with that, let's take the power of our words with this incredible opportunity. Just like reading the chats and seeing people from Utah and California and Sweden and Norway and Africa and England, just so incredible that we've all been gathered together through this fellowship in this land, from this place. And we have the opportunity to have a global prayer like never before. And so if that is a part of the master plan, let's take advantage of it. Hashem, master of the universe. Here we are your loyal fellowship online from around the world. We gather here every week committed to growing toward you, committed to becoming the people you created us to be. Please prepare us for what lies ahead. Give us the courage and strength we need to be strong and courageous for the people we love who need us now. Align us with ourselves. Align our words with our actions. Please, Hashem, allow us to make our will, your will, and that your will be fulfilled through us in the world. Please let your will be done through me. May our words be our bond. May our words be our blessing. Hashem, bless everyone in this fellowship. Bless everyone that is live here from around the world today and everyone that's listening and watching to this broadcast in the future. Bless them. Bless their families. May your light shine into their lives and light up their homes. Light our paths and guide our steps. Bring us all together in a new rebuilt Yerushalayim. Bim Hairabi rabbi speedily in our days. Amen. All right, my friends. So I want to kick off the fellowship with the two stars of the fellowship. I'm going to start with Ari, and then we're going to transition to Tehillah. And then from Tahila to me because Tahila and I were a little bit more coordinated because we've been talking a lot about this, of course, over Shabbat. So she's really going to lay the foundation, I believe, for the rest of my teaching. So first, I want to bring in Ari because Ari's kind of like um the word it's like a loose wild cannon. cracker. You just you never lose cannon. <laughs> I never yeah. know what I'm going to get. And so here we are with Ari. Ari, you are um you take it's from here. It's for you.
2: You got it. The conch. thank you, Jeremy. Thank you. You spoke beautifully, and and I love the. The blessings and the prayers at the beginning and you know what you said about that make our will your will i think that is a, a really very very deep and profound truth because i was asking someone in synagogue i said i was sometimes i have a question for the parsha, and i just go up to everybody in synagogue and i'm asking them this question now people may be wondering aren't you not supposed to speak in synagogue Ari? and the answer i would give to that is okay so i'm not perfect i shouldn't speak in synagogue but if I do, at least it's words of Torah. Anyway, so I went to my friend and I said to him, why is it that uh, Bil'am was punished? God said, okay, go with them." And then he went. And then God's anger was flared. Was, his wrath was flared. Why was he punished? And the answer someone gave me said, because there's the unwritten thing. Your daughter's asking you again and again and again. You want to do a thing? You want to do a thing? You want to do a thing? You're like, no, no, no. You know what? Do the thing. But she knows it's not your will. And so what Jeremy said about his blessing to us, we really want to do God's will. And this Torah portion is such a beautiful portion because it has to do with blessings. Jeremy's talking about blessing the children. And I agree to me, probably one of the penultimate moments in my entire week is blessing my children at the Sabbath table. And, uh, you know, I say, who's going to get up a special bracha? Who's going to get? Is it you? Is it you? And I says, no. And then I put my hands over her head and she closes her eyes and I bless her. And then I kiss her cheeks and then I bless Shiloh who's squiggling and he's a year old. But it's such a special moment. It's a, it's, a, it's a moment of a blessing. And this week's Torah portion is about blessings. But there's so much to talk about, but I don't have that much time. So I just want to start you know, by talking about how this Torah portion has yet another instance of idolatry. I mean, how much idolatry can we commit? It feels like there are hundreds of instances of idolatry throughout the Tanakh. And those are only the ones that are written. For everyone that's written, there's probably a thousand times that aren't written. I mean, we see in the Torah and the judges, the prophets, the writings again and again, it's perhaps the most repetitive theme throughout Jewish history. I mean, we talk about what a stiff necked people we are, just like give it up already. But I'll tell you, you know, earlier in my Torah journey, I would view these serial idolaters, as backwards fools, I mean, who prays to the sun? Or even stupider, they bow down and worship these carved statues of their own making, right? They crafted it themselves with their own hands, and then they worship it. I just couldn't wrap my mind around it. I mean, for them to throw away their relationship with Hashem, to betray the rock of Israel, Tzor Yisrael, who redeemed them from slavery and has proven true to his word throughout history without exception for a statue that they carved with their, it was just unfathomably idiotic to to me for me to wrap my mind around. But now I think I'm a little uh, older, a little bit wiser, hopefully, probably not, I don't know. But now I uh, I don't think I judge them as negatively. I empathize with them. These stories are now for me, I think they're cautionary tales. They're tales of what can happen when we lose awareness and allow the very human psychological impulse to feel powerful, to feel in control, to allow that impulse to take over and to dictate our actions. Because if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna be honest, I've spent more than enough time in my own life, you know, teetering on the edge of idolatry, if not committing the sin myself on one level or another. For you know, who among us hasn't had a moment of fearing flesh and blood, who hasn't had a moment of putting our faith in in someone that we perceive as having some sort of power over us, and so we fear them and put our hopes in them, it doesn't need to be an actual idol for it to be idolatry. Because the idol wasn't, you know, actually the statue in some ways. The idolatry was the belief that there was some independent source of power in the world other than Hashem. So whether we're building a calf and declaring that to be the God of Israel, or we're getting angry and thereby declaring ourselves God. We know what should be, and this is not what should be. Idolatry can take on many forms and many different gradations. Anyways, there were different idols in biblical times. There was Molech, and there was Nehushtan. There were many, and each one contained its own illusion of power and said something not only about the idol itself, but about the people that worshipped it. So let's get to the portion. So this portion, Balak, we see a beautiful behind-the-scenes testimony of Hashem's love for us, this cocoon of love and shield of protection within which Hashem nurtures us despite our many sins and rebellions and idolatries. And we see that while Bil'am was one of the greatest prophets in history, no matter what, he was powerless in his desire to curse the Jewish people. He could only bless them. But pay, pay, pay close attention here To those blessings, because we can see that he was able to figure out from the words that he heard emerging from his own mouth, he was able to figure out how the Jewish people could be cursed, how they could be harmed, how they could be defeated. So here we go. Let's look in chapter 21, uh, chapter 23, verse 21. I'm sorry. He does not look at the evil in Jacob and he sees no perversity in Israel. Hashem, their God, is with them. So Bilaam realized, oh, so if there would be perversity among the Israelites, their God would not be with them. So what did he do? He advised the Moabites to send in their daughters to seduce the Israelite men, not only with their bodies, but with their idolatry, with their idols. And that's what I want to talk about right now. The idolatry with which these Moabite women seduced the Israelite men, because it was a very strange and disgusting type of idolatry. It's one of the most disgusting and intriguing types of idolatry. It was called Baal Peor. And at the risk of grossing you out before breakfast, if you're across the world, the worship of Baal Peor was the worship of one's own excrement, feces, otherwise known as poop or an Israel khaki. That While this is unquestionably disgusting, there are a lot of insights that we can glean for today about how the worship of this idol is perhaps more than any other idolatry, the worship of this idol is on the rise in the world today. Perhaps, I think, I think particularly in Western countries, they're leading the charge with the Baal Peor idol and bringing that almost by force to so much of the world. So what does Rev Jacobson point out about this revolting idol? He said, he explained Baal Peor is the worship of waste and what is waste what is excrement it's that which is left over after all nutrition and vitamins and life and vitality has been extracted from the substance right it's it's uh, you know it's the jewish understanding that hashem gave us the torah not to tell us that we can't enjoy this world we're not aesthetic monks on a mountaintop disconnecting rather to tell us how we can enjoy this world how we can derive pleasure from this world in the most godly, sacred way possible, how we can derive pleasure by infusing God into this world, because every pleasure has a godly source, and by following God's laws and his decrees and his ordinances, he tells us how we can harness those pleasures of this world to connect with him and to infuse the world with his presence, because pleasure is a force in the, in the world. It's a force. It's a powerful force. And like anything else, it could be twisted and distorted and perverted. And the greater the pleasure, the greater the capacity for that perversion. And when you see it that way, I don't want to get personal here, but America is leading the West in the revival of the legacy and worship of the Baal Pa'or. Because by literally worshiping waste, one is stripping the, the pleasures that are supposed to be harnessed to bring life and connect with Hashem. They're stripping these pleasures from all life and vitality and nutrition and fruitfulness. And and by stripping them of all of that, they're stripping these pleasures of divinity and of godliness and leaving them empty and void and dead. And when you start looking for where the worship of the empty godless pleasures are, you see them everywhere from the white flour and the white sugar that is stripped of all nutrition and health and vitality, it's addicted millions causing obesity and heart attacks and misery and death. And then, of course, we have the glorification and the adoration and even legislation that is enshrining and worshipping the sterilization and the the mutilation of children to, to allow them to be free in their pursuit of sexual perversions that they themselves, these perversions, are stripped of all fruitfulness themselves stripped of every last ounce of life. ever you look, you see the glorification of waste and refuse and death. Because I don't know about you, you know, but sometimes I look at these millions of people that are worshiping and revering these twisted, dark perversions, and I wonder, what's going on? Has everyone gone mad? Like, what is this all about? But then when we immerse ourselves in the divine, eternal truth of Torah, we see, oh, this is nothing new. It's not new. It's just a different manifestation of the same ancient idolatrous death cults, and so where does this leave us? How do we fight this? How do we get empowered by this? And I think the answer is in Devarim, Deuteronomy chapter thirty, verse nineteen. Hashem says, "I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that both you." and your seed may live. They worship death. So how do we respond? By choosing life. By looking at our lives and seeing where we may have stolen pleasures, where we may be choosing death over life ourselves, whether it's by guarding our diet or guarding our tongues or guarding our eyes. I bless us, my friends, that we choose life. May we choose life together. And through that choice that we're able to connect in the deepest way possible to the living God that sustains us, the living God of Israel. Shalom, my friends, Tehila's right here with definitely something more profound than what I, than what I just said. Really? You think so? I think so. Well, so here I wanted to just introduce
1: Tehila really quickly. I was so we moved. had a very special show. I was so. Oh, oh, sorry, hey,
0: right, oh. hey, I was so moved by what Ari said, and I was just mesmerized. And he whooshed me away as if my scrutiny was making him feel embarrassed, bothered. So I had to step away to the other. Sorry, sorry for interrupting you,
1: Jeremy. No, it's okay. I I just wanted to give you a proper introduction. It's always my favorite when you come on live because now we're doing it together. It's not just a prepared clip, but we're actually both here together, hosting the fellowship, talking to our fellowship. That's the best. So I just wanted to give you the proper honor that I know at least the direction in which you're going to take it. And for me, it is absolutely... um, I would say it's one of the primary works that I'm doing in this world is trying to fix my speech, making it more upright, making it more straight. I have a proclivity to mm, kind of like weave my words that are not exactly the right straight and narrow. And you were always very good at whacking me back onto the straight and narrow. And so I'm excited to hear what you have to say because for me, it is, it speaks to me.
0: Oh, thank you so much. Hey, everybody. Great to see all of your uh, faces. So, you know, this week's portion of Balak, I'm, I I can't overstate how much it knocks me on my bottom every year. Every year, I feel like I'm taking a break from Torah and entering into, uh, you know, Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings. There's wizards, magicians, uh, you know, uh, angels with fire, blessings and curses. And then we, you know, after that, we go back to see what's happening in, you know, among the Israelites, but it's such a strange, it's such a strange portion. But what really knocks me over every year is feeling like, is Hashem messing with Bilam? Is Hashem messing with him? Because he seems to always be such a good guy. And each year I convince myself, no, this time I'm going to really dislike him. He's a bad guy, but I start reading and I just can't help feeling for him. He just us uh, seems like a good guy. He says, I want to do what Hashem wants. He's prophesizing. He's asking Hashem for permission. Hashem tells him no. He says no. Hashem s- tells him yes. He says yes. And he, okay, like, you know, what do you want from the guy? And then Hashem says go. And then suddenly the angel is telling him don't go. I, it feels like he's in an impossible situation, an impossible trap. And so each year I really struggle with this. And, you know, what's interesting is that the sages are constantly comparing Bilam and his prophetic talent to our greatest, greatest prophets and forefathers. The Midrash compares him to Avraham. The Midrash compares him to Moshe. The Midrash compares him to Moshe to the point that the Midrash actually says that while there was no greater prophet than Moses, among the Jewish prophets, among the Gentile prophets, there was a prophet who achieved Moses' level of prophecy, and that was Bilam. I mean, that has to make you guys take a like a gasp for a moment, right? Meaning that if, as a, when it comes to human potential to reach the divine, Bilam is as great as it gets. And then, you know, nonetheless, he ends up in next week's Parsha, you know, he ends up seemingly angering Hashem, getting in trouble with an angel, having a fight with his donkey. He ends up getting killed, leading the Israelites astray, getting killed. And we know him forever to be evil Balaam. We know him forever to be this horrible name of accursedness. Where did all of his potential get squandered? Like, I want to try to put my finger on that moment because I know, Jeremy, you're going to talk today, I think, about, you you know, how to win in the game of life, how to achieve you know how to how to bring our potential to fruition but here you have the classical story of a prophet who seems to have so much spiritual potential to understand the divine and he becomes an absolute loser failure this should be a guidebook like where is he going wrong and if you look at moshe it's the exact opposite i mean who had worse chances among the israelites of becoming great if not moshe moshe was like left for dead in the nile Taken into the house of far, Pharaoh to grow up with somebody who thinks he's a god, only to run away to live with a new father—you know, his father-in-law, who's a idolatrous uh, priest—is he the guy you would have put your money on to become the greatest prophet to have the greatest spirituality? So you know, here it's like you, by you know by the two of these uh, characters being juxtaposed, it's like Hashem is telling us, "Pay attention," you know, and then our sages are saying, "Pay attention." Because you can have amazing potential and totally fail. And you can start with horrible potential and become the greatest spiritual leader of all times. Now, where did Balaam go wrong? Like, how can we make sure to not squander our potential? So when I'm looking at it, what's so interesting is that Balaam has an amazing ability to connect with Hashem's will and to hear Hashem speak to him in his life. But then something goes obviously wrong. The first thing that you can notice that goes wrong in Billum's life, I mean he seems to be a great guy. He even has, you know what I noticed this year? He even has a Judean morning like Jeremy. He gets up early in the morning to, you know, uh saddle his donkey. He's getting up early, he's trying his best, he's trying to be a winner. But well, where does he go wrong? Here's the thing. It's true that he has this amazing spiritual life. But look at the other parts of his life. Look at the other parts of his Personality that come out. The first thing that you see coming out in his personality is just how he treats his donkey. Jeremy, you pointed this out to me. His first reaction when things don't go right is to like blame someone else, be abusive and mean, and hit his trusty donkey instead of asking himself, "Wait a minute, might I be doing something wrong?" Immediately to externalize blame, to be mean and cruel to others. Look at his, you know, his advice that he gives. His advice that he gives Balak later when he wants to tempt the Israelites is to tempt them with, as Ari described, such ugly, licentious, horrible behavior. You know, I was at uh, one of our shepherdesses is getting married next week. And there was a bridal shower for her two nights ago. And her grandmother was there. She's this elderly sage woman. And I said, grandma, do you have any marriage advice for all of the young women here? And maybe for some of the not so young women here. And she says, yes, never get upset with your spouse because they can't give you something they don't have if you're upset with them that they're not doing something consider the possibility that they just don't have it in them and they're not trying to hurt you like if they're too messy maybe they just don't know how to clean you know if they don't hug you enough maybe they just weren't hugged enough as a child like don't get mad try to see the good and so like you can see that involved like he can't do more than what he has inside and on the other hand you whatever you give others is a, is a reflection of what you have inside so if if Bilam's go-to advice, as Ari was saying, was to have lack of modesty and licentiousness in the camp, if that was his advice, that means that that's what's on his mind. He's a person that in his actions is not living up to the godly ideal that he prophesizes. His actions are horrible, even though his mind is able to connect with the mind of Hashem, with the, the vision of Hashem. You know, there's this horrible <laughs> this horrible midrash where it says, why did Bilam?" go on a donkey. He's so rich. He's getting all this money from the king of Moab. Why didn't he go in like an amazing carriage with like 10 horses? It said that he wanted to take his donkey for romantic purposes. That's the level that this man was living on, that he was having a romantic relationship with his donkey. That's what the greatest prophet of all times was doing in his actions. And so he has this one way of knowing Hashem's will, but then look how he behaves. He behaves so differently than Hashem's will. But even still, you know, I'm still, wasn't, I still wasn't satisfied. And I said, but like, there's something going on here in this story where Hashem tells him you can go and then Hashem gets mad at him for going. And so I'm reading all of the sages on what is this? What went wrong? And so there's Ari's uh, perspective appears in Rashi where it says that he, you know, he asked Hashem and asked Hashem and asked Hashem like a little kid at the supermarket. And finally Hashem's like, fine. But, you know, even when I give in to my kids at the supermarket and I buy them something, well, I don't punish them later. That wouldn't be right to punish them if I bought them a candy at the supermarket because they were really annoying me. Like if I gave in, I gave in. So Hashem said, fine, go. Why is Hashem mad at him for going? It still doesn't make sense. And finally, I found an answer that really satisfied me in the Ramban, in Nachmanides. And Nachmanides says, Look very carefully at the story of Bilam. He asks Hashem, can I go? Hashem says no. He asks Hashem, can I go curse them? Hashem says no. And each time he responds to the ministers, to the messengers of Balak saying, sorry, you know, I just, I can't not do what Hashem says. And then finally he sends these even better messengers and he says, let me go to sleep and see what Hashem says. Hashem does not say, okay, fine, go. The Ramban reads it so carefully. He says, okay, fine, go, but you're going to have to say what I tell you to say meaning they had two requests. Please come to the Israelite encampment and curse them. Now, what his answer should have been, the Ramban says, is he should have gotten up in the morning and said, I can do part A. I can go with you to the encampment of the Israelites, but I can't promise to curse them. I'm just going to have to say whatever Hashem tells me to say. Now, if he would have said that, what do you think they would have said? Right on, buddy. Let's pack up our donkeys. No, they would have said, let's check with Bala because I don't know if he wants to just toss a coin on that one. But instead, he just is quiet and gives them the impression that he's agreed to go on their mission. He doesn't speak the truth to them. He just goes and in his actions is displaying to them the impression that he really is going to curse the Israelites. And the Ramban says, that's why the angel gets mad. He says, you were not truthful in your mission that you're going on you're not, you didn't lie, but there are lies of omission. You are not walking in truth. And the imagery that we get is so powerful because it's an imagery for all of our life. The imagery where Balak, where Bilam is walking is that there's two walls on each side and an angel in front of us. What is like that angel? That angel is like the judgment. Are you walking in truth? Because you can't turn left and you can't turn right. You want to try to move to the left or move to the right. You're a donkey. You're a donkey, that's the imagery that the Torah is giving us. You wanna be an upright human being? You walk forward, you face that judgment of if you are living in truth. And so what does that mean? You can be the person with the greatest spiritual connection, the most Torah knowledge, the most ability, the greatest ability to hear Hashem. But if in your actions and your speech and your heart, what you know in your heart to be true, if they're not all one, if they're not all united, then you're never going to be able to realize that potential. You know, there was such a funny thing in Israel. There's this lady who's all the time, you know, supporting all of the radical left. And she pretends to be a big lover of peace and lover of humanity. And, oh, you know, protect the Palestinians. is so important. And she's running to be mayor of the city of Nesceona. And she made this video on Facebook and she has a huge smile on her face. And she's going, vote for me, everyone. I'm going to make the city great. And then she didn't realize the camera was still running and her smile just goes, disappears when she thinks the camera is off what did I do something wrong the her her smile just disappears and she says hope you all die like after she thinks the camera is off and I'm like oh my god oh my god she's such a fake such a thing she's so bum it was perfect for this portion because she showed how you can live in one type of image that you're trying to give the world but if in your heart you're not living in truth then it's going to fail so May we all walk in complete truth in our actions, in our words, and in our hearts. Jeremy?
1: Yes. Thank you, Tehillah. There was some sort of internet connection problem, but I love what oh, no. you said. Oh, and- it's okay. I might have been, also been on my end. I thought it was very good. But for those that didn't hear, what happened was at the end of that woman's little video, vote for me, we're going to make this city great. She's like, I hope you all die <laughs> and like hung up the phone. And then she uploaded that to Facebook saying that. <laughs> and she forgot to cut out that last part where she sort of wished death upon all of the people that would vote for her. So that sort of like turned out to be like, well, I don't want to vote for that woman. She doesn't seem very nice. But um, thank you very much, Tehila. I think that's very true, just to walk in truth, to speak the truth, to walk in truth. And that's the foundation for the next thing that I want to say. And that is the power of words. The power of words that we learn in this week's Parsha because the entire Parsha is dedicated to some human being from Midyan, is he going to curse the Jews? Is he going to bless the Jews? The king is giving him all this money. The Jews hear about this. There's a, a poetry written, not that we have to live with the curse of Balaam. Okay, okay, a guy's giving saying words. What are words anyway? I curse you, I bless you. Okay, why is an entire Torah portion dedicated to the words of some guy? Why is that important? Clearly, the Torah at that time takes it extremely seriously. They take those words super seriously and so why is that so important why does what someone say really matter and that's the essential core idea that i want to explain um two things happened to me this week that pointed me in this direction a few members of the fellowship said that they so much enjoyed my last session where I spoke about Tahila and myself and our struggles and our marriage and how we sort of work through things. They said, please bring in just more real life stories and questions that people in the fellowship have so we can take these like kind of high ideas and then really bring them down into our personal lives. And I said, sure. So then all of a sudden, two things happened to me and they both pointed in the same direction and then all connected to the Parsha that we're talking about. So I said, okay, this is obviously what I'm supposed to be sharing with everyone today. So a father came to me um, just last week, and he said his teenager is just whittling his life away. He's sleeping late. He's watching YouTube. He's playing video games. He's on summer break now. Summer break is in Israel. And he just hates watching his son waste his time, bum around. And the dad said, what should I do? Then a few days later, a young guy uh, in his 30s came up to me with tears in his eyes. And I'm not very close with this person, but, like, I'm close enough that he came up to me and said he really, really wanted to talk to me. And I was like, well, I see someone that's tearing up and really wants to talk to me. Make a long story short, I ended up spending quite a lot of time with him, and his problems were totally different because he's in his 30s and he's not a young teenager. Um, But in a nutshell, his intimate life is a disaster, he hates his job, he doesn't really have a close friend group, doesn't spend much time with the community, he's not a part of anything socially, and he told me in so many words that he just hates his life. And so I want to share with you what I told the father of that young, kind of growing up man, and what I told that young man, because, you know, that can spiral down into absolute despair. Now, I'm not a therapist, I'm not a very good listener. A good therapist needs to be a supreme listener. You can ask Tehila. I'm not a very good listener. But I have been a sports coach since my early teens, teaching kids younger than me. I've been a platoon sergeant in the IDF. And I've had some success at motivating and coaching people to behave the right way. And so that's how I see my job. When people come and ask me for advice, um, I can give you the orders if you're ready to be a soldier. I can coach you if you're ready to play. But if you want someone to talk to, to bury your soul to... Arya Bramowitz is your guide. That guy is a natural born therapist. He can listen and talk and you can get deep and emotional. That's, you know, I just say what I say because this is the solid advice that I have from the Torah that I've learned, from the mentors that I've learned from, that I've studied from, from my life's experiences. And so that's sort of the best that I can do. So with that, I try to like help people that I can, give them sort of coaching from the side, advice from the side. And hopefully um, this will be a blessing for the young men That are in the area, or the young women that know young men, or the mothers of young men. But this message is specifically targeting young men because I think that it is um, young men right now are really under attack. They really have it hard in the modern Western world. And so, giving them courage, giving them strength is really, um, in some ways, the calling of this generation. And so, if you are a young man and you're sort of stuck in a rut and you want a way out, there is a way, but it's not easy. And actually, Everything has to do with your word. Your word can either make you or break you, period. And what that means is the more you trust yourself, the more powerful you become. What does that mean? If you had a friend and every time you decided to hang out or go out to dinner or go out for a run, or you decided to have a chavruta and learn together, that friend came two hours late or didn't show up at all, you would just stop trusting that friend and you would stop inviting them out with you. And that's the exact relationship that we have with ourselves. So when you speak to yourself and you say, I'm going to do this, and then you don't follow through, you actually destroy your own trust and you lose all of your power. You've actually cursed yourself. And that's what the core essential idea of the mitzvah of neder is teaching us. Neder is a biblical commitment. You're saying, I am making a commitment to God to do X, to give X, to act X. Whatever that X is, you've made like a commitment to the highest order. And that's the ultimate commitment. If you break a neder, then you've sinned. And that's why so many Jews say, ah, bli neder. I'll do that bli neder. They like put in that last word. But sometimes we actually forget really what is the Torah teaching us there with this concept of neder. What it's teaching us essentially is that if you break your word, you're cursing yourself. So saying Bli nedair is nice, but you're really missing the idea here. When you break your word to yourself deep down, you grow into a person that doesn't trust yourself. So what you need to do, you need to speak to yourself, you need to commit, and then you need to follow through. But you need to speak clearly. What exactly are you committing to? So that when you follow through, you actually nail it. And so what do I think is the best advice? for young men, growing men, married men, it doesn't really matter. What is the thing? You have to set out a goal, make it clear, speak it in your mind, can write it down because you think in words anyway, so you're speaking to yourself. What is the goal? If you're really like kind of building the foundation, you're at rock bottom, let's say, or you want, you're not at rock bottom, but you want to build the foundation strong, here is what you need to do. You need to get into great physical shape. You're a man. Every man should be strong. Every man should be ready to be called up to David's army, ready to fight the forces of evil. Because one day... You might just have to. And some people are going to say, some of followers, I get into physical shape. That sounds Hellenistic. That sounds like the Greeks. That's not holy. That's not godly. Tell me to learn Torah. I can understand that. Tell me to meditate, to pray. You're telling me my service of God in this world is to get in physical shape. It sounds like the Greeks. And my answer is no, no. That's a misconception of the exiled Jews. My answer is yes. The foundations are actually to fix your body. Being healthy and being strong is the foundation that everything else is built upon. And it was a given that you were healthy and strong back in the day. Every farmer and every shepherd are strong and healthy or else they couldn't pick up the sheep and pick up the terrace and work out in the land. They have to be healthy and strong. Only when we were exiled and we lost our land did the Jews turn away from our roots of Joshua and Samson and David. And we still turned to the exile. We almost idealized the scholar that's sitting alone, hunched over a book, pale, just learning and spiritual. Because we could have no strength in the exile. But now it's a new generation back in the land. A new path is demanded for every believer in the world as long as Israel is inside the land. It's the new old path. Nothing I'm saying is new. And the ancient spiritual path begins with honoring and strengthening your body. Now, Rav Cook says, teshuva begins with your body. I take that really seriously. I think that Rav Cook world, the greatest book on teshuva ever written it's studied in yeshivas around the world from every background and every ideology Orotachuva, Teshuvah, the lights of tshuva is arguably the greatest book ever written on tshuva and in his explanation he says the beginning of tshuva the beginning of coming back to god the beginning of coming back to yourself starts with your body Competing with 3,000 plus years of rabbis and scholars to have written one of the greatest books on the most important topics is nothing less than historic. In his magnum opus on tefillah, he's telling us, you want to realign your life. You want to return to yourself. You want to get out of the rut. You want to rise up to shuvat haguf. The tshuva begins with your body. So what would I coach that dad who's trying to coach his son into becoming a man, a young man who's lost his way and lost his direction? Right now, get into peak physical shape. Every day, one hour train, run, walk, swim. Bike. If you're 16 to 19, you can get into the best shape of your life. If you're older, you can be in the best possible shape for your age group. That's true. If you're 40, if you're 50, if you're 80, it doesn't matter. You should be as strong as you possibly can. Every day, start with your body. Get your mind to move your body And as your body gets stronger, your mind gets stronger. You start feeling better. You'll start taking yourself more seriously. And when you commit and you say, I am going to make myself stronger every day. And then you do that, you start building an inner trust in yourself. It's very quantifiable. Did you get stronger today? Did you work out today? Did you make yourself stronger today? If you did, excellent. 30 minutes, that's all you need, 30 minutes. Just do it. And when you start doing that, everything else around you will start to change. Because when I say you'll start feeling better, you know, my father is a neurologist, a doctor of the brain. There are well-documented studies about the long-term benefits of exercise. It's indisputable. You'll feel happier, stronger, more focused, more hopeful. When your mind controls your body, your body starts to feel discomfort and pain and stress and sweat, but that actually activates good feelings within you it's neurologically true. It's spiritually true. The soul, when you're just kind of chilling out is enslaved to the body. But once you take control of your body, your soul starts to shine and you start to feel good. You start to, I mean, mood follows action. That's really important. It's not the other way around. It's like, well, one day when I get in the mood, I'm going to go out and I'm going to go on a run. It's the exact opposite. It's like, go out on a run and then you'll start getting into the mood. It's like mood follows the action. And that is so key about everything in the Torah. So this is one of the most beautiful writings ever written in all of Jewish history. It's written in Sefer HaKinu, one of the seminal writings of Jewish living. And this is section number 17. And I'm going to, I translated it pretty much word for word. Here's what he says. He says, know that a person is activated according to his action. Ha'adam nif'al kifi That was the best way I, he's activated. What does that mean? His heart and all his thoughts are always a response to his action that he's involved in, whether it be good or evil. Even if the person is evil and all his heart's desire is to do evil all day, if he's awakened and tries to consistently work in Torah and mitzvot, Even if it's not for heaven's sake, he will lean toward the good and his intentions will turn toward the good, towards heaven's sake. With the power of his action, he can destroy his evil inclination and the heart follows the action. And even if a person is righteous and good and his heart is straight and his desire is in the Torah and mitzvahs, but if a person will continually involve himself in evil actions, for example, a king forces him to do some evil acts every day against his natural will, If he only busies himself with these evil acts day after day, his heart will turn into complete wickedness For this is a known truth. Man is activated according to his actions. Our actions activate a power within us. Our actions either bolster the body or bolster the soul. Those are the two options. That's why teshuva begins with the body. And the best way to get in control of the body is to get into shape. And I'm not talking about just going on casual walks I'm actually talking about working hard. Young men need to work hard to be happy, period. There is no such thing as a young man that's just chilling out and happy. Those do not go together. When young men work hard, something magical happens. Hard work works more on you than you work on it. It's like your character is built through the hard work that you do. Ari Fold of Blessed Memory said it so beautifully if life is easy, you're living it wrong. If you're going to rise up, then you're going to need to build a strong mind and a mental resilience is trained in practice. It's the easiest ways to practice building just a stronger body. You build a strong body, you need a strong mind and your mind is getting stronger. It will lift you out of whatever rut you're in. Now, most people just kind of lazy. That's sort of what society trains us into. It's like, just Crack open a beer, watch the movie, watch the ball game. It's like, you know, it's like we we just succumb to the desires of the body. They haven't activated their will to overcome the body. The body really dictates the terms of their life. And when you do something over and over again, you create a habit. And so most people are just getting into the habit of looking for the easiest way to feel good watch a movie, watch a ball game, get a few moments of relief and entertainment or distraction from yourself. That's the easiest way I can feel good. And they may just start making that into a habit. But if you keep running away to distraction, your life will eventually spiral down into depression. And if you wanna rise up and get out of that rut, you have to seek yourself, not distraction. You have to actually go and find yourself, seek it out. Your mind has to get strong to rule over your body. The sages of Israel give this analogy, which is perfect for this week's Torah portion. It's like a cowboy on a horse or Billam on a donkey. Who is in charge of the horse? Are the cowboy riding the horse? If you let the horse do whatever it wants to do, it's probably just not going to move around a lot and just eat the grass that it finds around it. And your body, which is the horse in this analogy, will do exactly the same thing. And what are you saying? It's like, no, no, my mind is riding this horse your soul, your mind, you are the rider. Your mind has to rule over your body. And so imagine that, what is the downfall of Israel? What is Balaam's curse? It was the Moabite women who lured Israel into lust, Zimri and Cosby fornicating in public. What is that? That's like an ancient depiction of pornography. That's really what happened there. It's like the whole nation is like watching this happen in front of them. That's just a prophecy into the future. Watch out because that is exactly how Israel was lost and slipped into lust. That was the only way to bring curse upon the people of God. They can't be cursed. They can only bring curses upon themselves. And so what does that mean for us? It means we have to seek ourselves. It means you're going to have to conquer pleasure. That doesn't mean you never have pleasure. It means you have to have pleasure in the right way, in the right time. It means not to allow your desire for pleasure to rule over you. You need to make yourself superior to pain. If you want to rise up, that means you want to grow. And that, by definition, is painful. By definition, it means you're growing beyond your comfort zone. You're right now, even if you're in a rut, you're sort of comfortable there because that's where you are. And your comfort zone is sort of where you find yourself. You want to get out of that? That is definitionally going out of comfort. It's discomfort. It's unpleasant. Growth, to be happy, you have to figure out how to be happy in the discomfort. Seek yourself. And that's really the ultimate call to adventure. And young men need adventure. That's the adventure. It's not to go find yourself. It's really to go and craft yourself. Build yourself into the potential of who you could be. That's what God says to Abraham. Lech, lecha. And right now, Western civilization, they've set this ideal up for everyone. And it's in our minds, whether we like it or not. The goal of everyone is working towards the golden age. One day I'm going to retire. I'm going to retire. And then I can just sit back and relax. I mean, I remember one time I was in an RV park with Tejila and my family. And, you know, I I met this guy. He's like a jolly, big, kind of happy guy walking around the RV park And I wanted to know, like, so tell you know, what do you do? He's like, well, I've been working for 45 years in a factory. And now I do absolutely nothing. <laughs> and I remember when he said that, that I was so struck with that. I was like, wow, absolutely. Nothing. That's wow. It's very, it's amazing. <laughs> so that it was like right in Shabbat. And we spent Shabbat in that RV park. And I remember Tila's like, Jeremy, can you go into the cabin and go get the ketchup? I said, Tehila, it's Shabbat now and I'm doing absolutely nothing. And she didn't like that very much. And I eventually wasn't able to do absolutely nothing for long enough. Eventually I eventually had to go and get the ketchup. But that's the ideal. The ideal of that man is to be retired and then I get to go and do nothing. And so what do I want to do now? If that's the ideal, I'm going to do as I'm going to. I'm going to do is I'm going to try to get as close to I can as that ideal already now. So, what does that look like? I'm going to do as little as possible, hoping to get as much as possible. But think about that working as little as possible for as much as possible, that is a recipe for a failed life. That's the direction that society will take you if you don't chart your own course. So, how do you chart your own course? by speaking it into existence. Now that sounds sort of spiritual, almost new age, but it's simple. You think in words, you speak to yourself, you commit to yourself, and then you follow through and the trust in yourself grows. You become a formidable force. You're not just being blown in the wind like a leaf. You become a powerful force when your mind can actually navigate your life into being. And how does it start? It starts with your body. Otherwise, the wind will blow you in one direction and then winds will come and blow you in the other direction. And like a leaf, you'll just blow around from place to place and something happens and it pushes your button and then you're frustrated. Then something else happens and it pushes your button. And now you feel anxious. It's like when you speak to yourself, follow through and you break through. That is the beginning of blessing is in speech. Speech aligned with truth. And then followed with action brings blessing into your life. Speech followed by untruth and inaction, you're just cursing yourself. So you become the driver. You become the rider of the horse. Your word becomes your bond. You commit and the world will part because you're going to follow through. The wind's not going to blow you around anymore. You've set your target and you will go and accomplish your goal. How do you ever build a mindset like that? The way to start, goof, start with your body. If you can get your own reality, your own essence, your own being under control, you start building your strength. You start getting more healthy. You will get spiritually healthier. Pneem, our face, is the same word as pneem, the inside, because our face, our external reality is just a mirror of our internal reality. lives better, then the way to start is through honest speech followed through with action. And so our speech can either be our blessing or our speech can be our curse. But the first step I would give um, every young man, old man, every man, maybe every woman, I need to think about that—though that, though, is work on becoming Stronger Chuvata Guf, start with your body, and everything else will fall into place. And so may our speech be our blessing, and may all of you be blessed. And with my speech from this place and from this land, may you all be blessed from Zion. Shalom, my friends. If you want more information about my speaking events in Manhattan, in Dallas, in Greeley, Colorado, or in Orlando, Florida, you can email me, you can email Tabitha, but it's happening. This Shabbat, I'm already gonna be in Manhattan. And then next week, it's all across the United States. I would love to see as many fellowship members as possible. If not in Judea, then in America. So shalom, my friends, I'll see you soon.
2: To join the Land of Israel Fellowship, to attend our live interactive zoom sessions, to participate in the Fellowship Connection QA events, or even just to binge on past sessions, click on the link below or go to thelandofisrael.com backslash fellowship and join our family of hundreds of people from around the world broadcasting light from the land of Israel live from the Judean frontier.